This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's a fascinating look at how Zoomers around the world defend their interests. Martin Himmel's new film, Pensioner Power, looks at political parties devoted to Zoomer issues and lobby groups that do the same. With an election in the offing, we'll explore the question, which is more effective? Plus, it's been an extremely hot, humid week here in Toronto, the type that makes you want to pack up the car and head to a cool lake. But if you haven't camped since you were a kid, you might be surprised at how much things have changed. Today, we'll hear all about glamping, camping with style in Ontario's provincial parks. But first, hear your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Since Canada Post first announced the plan to end door-to-door mail delivery, we've seen numerous forms of protest. The latest, out of London, is a beautiful approach. A number of miniature gardens have popped up around the city. These gardens all have one thing in common. They're installed over the concrete pads that are the site's of Canada Post's future communal mailboxes. A group called Londoners for Door-to-Door is behind the flower beds. They say they began planning the installation of these gardens over the winter. Despite a resurgence in the American economy and a boost in the job market, more young adults are living at home than five years ago. That's according to the most recent numbers from the Pew Research Center. It found that although unemployment among young adults has dropped from 12.4% in 2010 to 7.7% in early 2015, the number of American millennials living independently has decreased in that time, from 69% in 2010 to 67% this year. The researchers say that could have a negative impact on the recovery of the nation's housing market. For decades, the Birkin handbag by designer Hermes has been a coveted symbol of wealth and status. It comes in a variety of sizes and materials, including calf leather, ostrich, lizard, and crocodile. This week, the bag's namesake, Zoomer actress Jane Birkin, requested that her name be removed from the crocodile version of the bag. The request comes after the People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, PETA, released a video showing cruel practices at a Texan reptile farm. Birkin says she was alerted to the cruel practices and asked Hermes to debaptize the Birkin Croco until better practices in line with international norms can be put in place. This week, we lost a trailblazer for women in politics. Flora MacDonald, longtime Canadian politician and recipient of the Order of Canada, passed away at the age of 89. She was born in North Sydney, Nova Scotia, and served as the Progressive Conservative Member of Parliament for Kingston and the Islands from 1972 to 1988. In 1979, she became the first female Secretary of State for Foreign Affairs 
in Canadian history. Four years later, she sought the party leadership, losing to Joe Clark, who eventually became prime minister. Clark appointed Macdonald Secretary of State for External Affairs, and she became one of the first few female foreign leaders worldwide at the time. After 16 years in the Commons, she dedicated her time to humanitarian efforts, but also managed to host a television program, write a book, and serve as chair of an international development research center. Flora McDonald, dead at 89. I'm Louise Nimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. קבלו את המתמודד הבא. הוא רעב, הוא חולה, והוא חייב לקבל החלטה גורלית. הוא חייב להחליט. אוכל או תרופות. This Hebrew commercial is a takeoff of a reality show where a senior citizen has to decide between food and medicine. It's from a political party called Generation, one of 15 so-called pensioners' parties around the world. With a federal election in the offing, it's a good time to look at how and where these parties work and how they compare to lobby groups like CARP, A New Vision of Aging. That's the subject of a new documentary by Martin Himmel. I reached him at his home in Tel Aviv. The two most powerful of present places in, in the world today, uh, uh, in the national level where there are pensioner parties with people inside, are Slovenia and, um, and uh, Croatia. In Slovenia and Croatia, there is a large group of people uh, over 60, and they're growing exponentially. You've got a proportionally larger group of people who are uh, older, and that's a proportionally larger group of voting power, too. And they also got stung very hard uh, when uh, the system, the communist system collapsed and, and the free market system went in. Their pensions became worthless, meaningless, and uh, they were all raised with the idea of uh, having a steady income, a steady job, and a steady pension. So uh, in those countries, the idea of a pensioner party uh, and protecting them became uh, a much more attractive issue. In countries like the Netherlands or the UK, where there's also pensioner parties, you know, the, the, the social security system, I think, is more effective and has uh, protected uh, uh, Zoomers and pensioners much better. And therefore, other issues come into play there. And their, their, their pensions, their private pensions also might be better. So I think that's one reason that uh, those parties haven't succeeded in getting elected. Mm-hmm. And also Israel. Well, in Israel, they've had uh, different experiences. In Israel, there was a pensioner party and, um, in the government. And they even had the, ministry, the, the Golden Ministry for Retiree Issues. But that party failed. It, uh, it didn't succeed. It, uh, it, it, never, it was in the, the parliament. It won seven seats out of 120, and it never uh, managed to get a seat again. And so they failed in uh, politics at the national level. So what happened then? Well, then they went into politics at the municipal level. And at the municipal level, actually, uh, they've been proven to be quite successful because there the whole issue of wider political issues about whether someone's on the left or the right don't matter. It's all about, municip- about uh, are there enough um, 
clubs for the elderly? Are there enough uh, proper sidewalks for them? Are there uh, routes to uh, public transport that are friendly for people who can't, uh, might have physical limitations? All, uh, are there enough parks? All these issues that which are important to people uh, anywhere, but especially for retirees, suddenly became the issue. And so in Tel Aviv, uh, there's a, a, a retiree party, a pensioner party, that's commenced 10% of the vote. In Haifa, there's also another one that commands uh, less than that. But um, they're, they're, they're managed by politicians who've had many years of municipal experience, and they make coalitions with different groups to get what they want. And they're effective that way. They are. They keep getting reelected. How much does proportional representation factor into this? Because you vote for a party, and depending on the aggregate number of votes, uh, then you have the aggregate number of representatives. But here we have a first-past-the-post system. Uh, Is that an impediment to us doing something similar? Well, that's a good question, and I think a lot of it has to do with the society that you live in. Um, For example... Uh, uh, if you have a single-purpose agenda, then a proportional system really works very well for you. Like if your party gets a lot more of the votes through a proportional system, and you're too successful in, in diversing, let's say, resources to pensioners, etc., then you can get a lot of uh, resentment from other groups. For example, in another example we looked at was Slovenia, where t- the pensioner party there has 10 seats out of n- the 90-seat parliament. They wow. are a very big force. And so the foreign, the foreign ministers from the Benjamin Party, and and they don't hesitate to to vote no confidence against a government that doesn't cater to their interests, and it's uh, so effective in that yes they keep their pensions and their retiree status, but at the same time they brought down three governments in five years and. There's 25% unemployment in Slovenia because of the crises that have been going on for the last several years, and young people especially feel hit. So young people think that retirees are getting an unfair share of the economic pie, so there's a backlash. So uh, for a country like Canada, what's your conclusion? Is it better to have a political party? Is a political party even possible, or should we stick with lobbying with uh, a very effective organization like CARP? Oh, I think lobbying uh, like CARP is much more effective in Canada because uh, you really don't vote for the party directly. And and uh, a party that is a single-issue party like a retiree party will not go far in Canada because in some areas there will be more young people, in some areas there will be people who have other issues involved. I think uh, lobbying uh, different groups and lobbying different parties and, and showing and convincing the politicians, you know, that... Consumers and retirees vote en masse much more than others is a, a very serious message uh, that will go uh, some distance, especially as uh, baby boomers age. In your documentary, Susan Eng, whom we speak to here many times, expressed the same view. We're now heading into an election here in Canada, but at the end of the day, the question that I have is, so how does it become a ballot issue? I think that when it comes to pensioners in general, if, uh, if somebody's uh, meddling with your income or your uh, medical benefit, etc., then uh, you might be right, you might be left. If you're really in need of that, that's going to affect how you would vote. There's always groups trying to, uh, to cut down what you've earned. And the only way to protect it is in this social Darwinistic world of politics is to have political power, whether it's lobbying or parties. And, and that, that's the big lesson from this documentary. 
people, Zoomers and pensioners must have some form of political power to protect themselves. Okay. On that note, Martin Himmel, thanks so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I've been speaking with filmmaker Martin Himmel. Pensioner Power will air on Vision TV at 9 p.m. on August 31st. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. When was the last time you went camping? If it's been a while, you might be surprised at how luxurious and comfortable it's become. In just a moment, we'll learn all about glamping, glamorous camping. The big drop in the value of our dollar has a lot of people thinking about staycations as the best option for their vacations. Ontario has more than 330 provincial parks and camping isn't what it used to be. These days, there's no need to rough it by sleeping on the ground and using outhouses. You can go glamping. I chatted with Anne Craig of Ontario Parks. Well, we're finding empty nesters, people who are... uh whose children no longer live at home, are people who once loved going to parks. They visited parks when they were younger, uh, but they now find that they don't want to sleep on the ground anymore and want a more comfortable experience. So what is glamping? Glamping is a term we didn't coin, but it's been around for about a decade, and it really refers to camping that's just a little bit more comfortable. Uh, You're off the ground, you have a nice comfortable mattress, you maybe have a uh, a few more luxurious uh, cooking facilities. Still camping, but just with a few of the luxuries of home. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the term comes from glamorous camping. Exactly, yes. And what are the types of options that you have for glamping in an Ontario provincial park? Well, we have a range of options. In a number of our parks, we have buildings that uh, used to be superintendents' cottages, used to be other kinds of buildings that we've converted into cottages. We have camp cabins that we've built new, which are one-room cabins with a little kitchenette and, and beds. We have yurts, which are a round uh, canvas or vinyl structure uh, based on the Mongolian uh, traditional yurt. And we have deluxe tents at a few parks, which are a prospector-style tent that is outfitted with a bed and a little kitchenette. Some of our units have bar fridges, uh, coffee makers, so we can provide many of the comforts of home. How many campers still camp the old-fashioned way? Is this, is this something that you're doing for older people, or do people of all ages, uh, you know, would they rather not rough it at this point? Well, you know, tra- traditional camping is still very popular. Uh, it's still, that's, if you walk through one of our parks today, you'll see lots of people doing the camping in a tent trailer or camping in a tent. But there are a number of different groups that really appreciate the additional comfort. So as we talked uh, about before, the empty nesters or the slightly older group uh, enjoy it. But we're also finding people who are new to camping, uh, perhaps new Canadians, people who live in the city who don't have camping equipment, are also finding roofed accommodation appeals to them. Mm -hmm. You mentioned new Canadians. You know, whenever I go for a hike on a park or a trail, it seems to me that the only people I see there are new Canadians. Well, certainly we know it's a growing demographic and it's really an important group that we want to attract to parks. We've found through research that a lot of people, if you didn't grow up camping as a child, you may find it as an intimidating experience as an adult. 
So we were trying to find ways to introduce people to camping. We have a Learn to Camp program that helps people uh, learn the skills to camp, but certainly roofed accommodation and glamping is another way to, to be softly introduced to a uh, park experience. I'm curious about what uh, an intro to camping entails. The introduction we offer um, through the Learn to Camp program, we provide all the equipment, we provide instructors that, uh, that stay with people through a weekend as they're learning to camp, and we teach the basic skills to camp. Which are? Which are setting up a tent, lighting a campfire, uh, being um, safe around animals, learning not to fear some of the noises at night in the park. When you say that it's not the norm anymore, so it's not just people who, who come from other parts of the world, so say somebody who has young kids now wouldn't necessarily... Uh, go camping with them the way they went camping with their parents? Possibly. We're certainly finding families, particularly in large urban centers, may not grow up camping in the way we expected in the past. Uh-huh. And what do you think, why do you think that is? There's certainly many competing vacation opportunities that weren't available. Uh, there's pressures on time. Children are doing lots of activities like soccer during the summer. So camping just seems to... Uh, to be one amongst a large number of options, not uh, maybe the exclusive option that there was uh, a while back. Okay, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Bye. That was Anne Craig of Ontario Parks. For more information and to plan your own trip, visit ontarioparks.com. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. We'll take a quick break and then return with a chart topper from the summer of 1957, Written by this week's birthday boy, Paul Anka. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your International Arts Date Book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. Penn and Teller are back on Broadway after a 15-year absence. The renowned illusionists include elements of their popular Las Vegas act in this show at the Marquee Theater. Masterworks of American icons are showcased in San Francisco in a production by that city's Museum of Modern Art. It focuses on art making between 1940 and the early 2000s and includes Andy Warhol, Alexander Calder and Ellsworth Kelly, among others. To London, England, where Buckingham Palace opens for the summer season with something new. Tourists are now allowed to enter the staterooms through the grand entrance in an exhibition called A Royal Welcome. And in Sydney, Australia, the Art Gallery of New South Wales features Rosemary Lang, one of the most influential artists of her generation. The exhibit is called Transportation and explores her ongoing interest in the nature of place and landscape and the relationship between technology, labor, time, and speed. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Book. This week, one of Canada's great singer-songwriters celebrated his 74th birthday. Paul Anka was born in Ottawa in the summer of 1941. Growing up, he sang in his local church choir, and in high school, he was part of a vocal trio called the Bobby Soxer. Anka took off for New York in 1957, and that's where he found success. It wasn't just his smooth voice that made him a star, it was also his ability to write hit songs. In fact, Paul Anka was one of the few pop singers of his day who wrote their own songs. 
and it paid off. Right now, we'll hear his first number one hit, which made him a household name in the summer of 1957. Here is Diana. I'm so young and you're so old. This my darling, I've been told. That was Paul Anka with Diana. Paul celebrated his 74th birthday this week. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Nyman. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director, John Van Dree. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.